Before we uh, look at our reading today, I want to give you a little background on the first half of Acts chapter 10 before we take up reading it at verse 34. Uh, Jesus had risen, ascended, poured out His Holy Spirit upon the church, and the gospel begins to go out from Jerusalem. And Peter one day was in Joppa, I think it's down by the coast, and he was praying on the rooftop, and he got hungry, and he saw this vision of these big sheep coming down full of all kinds of unclean animals that the Jews would never eat. And a voice says, Peter, take up and eat. He says, no, Lord, I've never let anything unclean come in my mouth. And this happened three times. So he was perplexed about what this vision meant. Meanwhile, uh, in Caesarea, the Roman centurion, the officer, the Roman army, who was a God-fearer, he had a vision uh, to send, or an angel rather, I believe, told him to go to send somebody to Joppa and find Peter and bring him there. So he sent two of his servants and one of his trusted soldiers, and they went to Joppa, and they found the house of Simon the Tanner, and they called for Peter. And Peter realized what the vision meant, that he was to go with these Gentiles, which he never would have done before. So he invites them to come in, and he uh, treats them, he hosts them for the night, and then the next day they travel to Caesarea and arrive in Caesarea, and there Cornelius has gathered his family, his close family, and his friends waiting for the arrival of Peter to see what the message was that Peter was going to deliver. And so we'll take up here now at verse 34, and I'll begin reading. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then it says here, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 
And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Amen. All right. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Thank you, gracious God, for your mighty acts among the Jewish nation. When you sent your son, born of a woman, to live among them, to die and rise on the third day. We thank you that these events were not hidden in a corner, but were well known all over Judea among both Jews and even Gentiles. Instruct us today, we pray through your scriptures, that we might know more of Christ and what he did 2,000 years ago to make his resurrection, his lordship, and his glory known to them and also to us today. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This sermon today has a goal, it has a purpose, and it's to help us understand why the Apostle Peter believed that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. But before we get to that point, I want to give us some background. Peter, also known as Simon Peter, was, as most of you know, the leader of Jesus' apostolic band, and God appointed him a a special place in redemptive history. He was a devout Jew, but God showed him that the Messiah had come not only to save Jews, but on this day, it really begins to shine on him when he saw the vision that God had come also, Jesus had come to save the Gentiles, that is, those who were not Jews, such as the Romans. Well, God had sent his son to grant forgiveness of sins and eternal life to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Now, you remember that when Jesus was getting ready to ascend and go back to heaven, he gave his disciples what's called the Great Commission. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So they were to preach the gospel and go into all the known world, and tell people about Jesus. All these Gentiles did not know the Hebrew Scriptures. They didn't know about Jesus. They were ignorant of the law of God. And they worshipped other gods besides Yahweh, pagan gods. Well, God in the Old Testament had at times made His will known to save the Gentiles as well as Hebrews. For example, we read today in Psalm 67, May your way be known on earth, your salvation, your saving power among all the nations. Well, the Hebrew people read these things, but it seemed like it didn't really register with them. They did very little to make Yahweh known among the nations. Now Jonah went to Nineveh, the Assyrians, and preached because God forced him to. Okay? So he was a rare exception. Uh, But when the Messiah came, the anointed one of God, to rescue God's people, his teaching and his preaching and his commands changed the situation radically because a new day of salvation had arrived for the people groups of the earth. This vision of these unclean animals that Peter saw 
was commanded to eat was a powerful illustration the Lord used to show Peter that the Gentiles were no longer to be considered unclean people, but they were to be included among the people of God. So Peter is sent by the Lord to the Roman centurion's house, Cornelius. And he's waiting there with his friends and family to hear what message was that Peter was going to deliver. Now, remember that Peter, along with the other apostles, had been appointed by Christ to be witnesses of him, to his life, his death, and his resurrection. They were to be witnesses. What is a witness? Well, it's someone who has seen something or experienced something and tells others about it. Now, as you probably know, we often have witnesses in court trials where people will get on the witness stand and say, I saw this happen, and so forth. Well, these apostles were commissioned by Christ to tell what they had seen and heard and experienced in their association with Jesus of Nazareth. They were to spread the good news that God had sent a Savior to the earth's people. Well, Peter, who had been preaching around Jerusalem, was kind of like one of those little birds in a nest that the mother bird has to push out and force them to fly. So Peter got pushed out of his comfortable nest by this vision, and he's going to a Gentile's house, which he never would have done before. Now these people whose house he was going to were God-fearers. That is, they had heard about Yahweh God. They had probably heard some of the scriptures. They had probably been to the synagogue to worship. And they had adopted or adopted the Hebrew religion. Uh, and so they had come to reverence and fear Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews perhaps more than many of the Hebrews themselves. And so these people had been prepared by God to hear and receive the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what God does by his invisible spirit. He prepares people to receive the gospel and he sends messengers to them with a message of the gospel. So Peter arrives and his house is full of these people, these Gentiles. He opens his mouth and he begins to deliver the gospel message to the people in the house. And he begins by acknowledging that God accepts people from every nation who fear him. And then in verse 36, in Acts chapter 10, he begins to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. He calls him Lord of all. This is no insignificant description of Jesus Christ to call him Lord of all. <clears throat> well, Peter, when he had been preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he explained to the crowd who had gathered there in Jerusalem that the Old Testament had predicted the coming of the Anointed One, the Messiah, and that he would be raised from the grave, and he would ascend into heaven and sit down at the Father's right hand. And he said, God has raised this Jesus from the dead, and he's ascended, he's poured out the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he says in Acts 2.36, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God 
has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. You did something to him, but God had a much greater plan. Well, these people were convicted. They were cut to the heart. They realized that they had helped crucify the Son of God, the Lord in Christ who had been risen from the dead. And so they asked, what shall we do? They said, repent and be baptized. Well, what Peter was saying, that this Jesus is Lord and Christ, no less than the promised Messiah of the Hebrew people, that is, God himself, as indicated in places in the Old Testament, such as Isaiah 40, was coming in human flesh to rescue his people from their sins and bring them into his everlasting kingdom. When the New Testament calls Jesus Lord, it's assigning to him a divine title. For example, Roman, uh, Philippians 2, 10, 11 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. A good Jew would never bow to anybody but God. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In other words, the whole creation. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, in Acts chapter 10, verse 36, Peter echoes... What he had preached on the day of Pentecost, what the Apostle Paul was preaching all around the Mediterranean region, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Why does Peter say that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? That he's the Messiah, that he's the Son of God? I want to give you three reasons today. First of all, Peter declares that Jesus is Lord of all because of all the good works he had seen Jesus do. Peter reminds the people gathered there at Cornelius' house in verse 37. He says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. You're living here here in Caesarea, you know. You're, You're right on the edge of everything that's been happening for years, the last three years. The mighty works of healing and deliverance that Jesus had been doing were well known throughout the country. Great crowds had followed him. Uh, The Jewish leaders were upset about it. But people were being healed and set free from evil powers. If you went out on the streets and heard what people were talking about, often they would be talking about this prophet from Nazareth named Jesus Christ who was doing such wonderful deeds of mercy among the people. And he was touching not only Jews, but some of the Gentiles were being touched and blessed also. And Peter had been there for all of this. He had seen these works of Jesus. He had been at Jesus' right hand for three years. When Jesus did some of his special acts of healing, he took his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, You remember Jairus' 12-year-old daughter that was dying. They went in with Jesus, and Jesus prayed for her and raised her up. Peter was there. He saw it with his own eyes. And so, he declares 
that Jesus is Lord of all to Cornelius because he had seen all that he had been doing. There's a second reason Peter declared that Jesus is Lord of all to Cornelius. It's because God raised him from the dead on the third day. Now on that third day, Peter had had a personal visit from the risen Jesus. Now he appeared to his disciples, but he made a special visit to Peter. We read here in Mark 16, 7, the women went to the tomb, an angel was there sitting on the right side of the tomb and told the women, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. So the angel is commanding these women to be sure and tell Peter. Well, in another gospel, Luke 24, you remember the two disciples that were walking down the road to Emmaus and Jesus appeared to them. They didn't know it was him. He began to explain to them uh, the things from the Old Testament that pointed to him. And when they got back to where the 11 disciples were, they, the disciples told these two men, they said, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. This was on Sunday. They already had gotten the news. Probably Simon had come and told him, the Lord appeared to me. This was on Resurrection Day evening. The Lord appeared personally to Simon Peter for a special visit. Why was that? Well, we believe it's because Peter was the only one of the disciples that openly denied the Lord in front of everybody. He knew who Jesus was, but he denied knowing him. And then when he recognized what he'd done, he wept bitterly, and his remorse was great. And the guilt weighed upon his mind, and his heart was broken. Jesus knew all this about Peter. And he knew that Peter was heartbroken. So he went and paid a special visit to Peter to console him, to comfort him, to assure him of his forgiveness. This is not recorded, but we believe it's logically what happened. We just see how much Jesus cares for his sheep. When they wander off the path, he goes and retrieves them and brings them back. Well, these disciples came. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they went and found the group and they were talking to them. Luke 24, verse 36, they were talking to the disciples about these things. As they were talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. Shalom. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet. It's I myself. Touch me. See, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. 
And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? Now that's kind of a strange thing to say, isn't it? Well, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. So what's happening here? Jesus is proving to his disciples that he was not a ghost. The resurrected Son of God was not a ghost. He was not just spiritually resurrected, but he was physically resurrected. He invited them to touch him. The women previously, earlier in the morning, had grabbed his feet and held on. They didn't want to let him go. They felt the physical solidness of his ankles, his shin. They grabbed his feet. Well, here Jesus appears with his ele- to his 11 disciples and he confirms to them the physicalness of his resurrected body. He asked for something to eat. Now, ghosts don't get hungry, okay? They gave him a piece of raw fish. Interestingly, Peter was very familiar with fish. He'd been a fisherman. He knew fish backwards and forwards. You, if you blindfold him and put a fish in front of him, he could smell it and tell you what kind of fish it was. This man knew fish. And what does Jesus ask for? Something to eat, but what do they have? Naturally, they got fish there because they got at least four fishermen that were part of the apostolic band. So they had cooked some fish. It says he took it in his hands and he ate it before them. Now he didn't go over in a corner, hide and munch on that piece of fish. He ate it right in front of them. He swallowed it and they could not see it go down his throat and into his esophagus and stomach. Why couldn't they see it? Well, because his organs were covered with flesh and bones. They went into his body like anybody else was eating. Only saw the throat muscles move as he swallowed. So Jesus is eating this fish. And it was just as real and common as it had always been. No doubt they had eaten fish together on many occasions. So in a certain way, this occasion was not much different from the previous ones. So we can imagine maybe Peter's talking to Cornelius' house, he's expanding a little bit, and he said something like this, I'm just surmising, Jesus ate fish with us on many occasions. We remember, I remember when he fed the 5,000. And he fed the 4,000 with that fish and bread. And, and there was baskets left over. And, and we just didn't stand there gawking at the people, watching them eat. But we joined in. We were hungry. We ate too. And, and Jesus ate too. And we picked up the, the leftovers afterwards. It was a time of enjoyment for all of us. You see, the third reason that Peter believed that Jesus is Lord of all is because what it says here, God made him appear to the apostles who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So, 
Peter focuses in on this special activity of eating and drinking with the resurrection Christ as a key component of his belief that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. Why do you think this is? Well, let me make some suggestions. The reason Peter stresses this is because eating and drinking are identifying marks of a person who's been physically resurrected. For a person to be truly resurrected from the dead, he must have five senses. Seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, and smelling. It's only eating that clearly demonstrates the use of all five senses. When you eat, you see the food, you grab it in your hand, you smell it, you touch it as you chew on it, and you swallow it. You taste it in your mouth. Now, at times when Jesus would appear, he would teach his disciples. But when you're teaching, you're using your voice and your eyes and your ears. But it's when you eat that you smell and you taste the food. These five senses, the exercise of these five senses are essential attributes of a fully restored, resurrected physical body that's been brought back from dead to life. I think that is a reason why Peter stresses the fact that we ate with and drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead. You see, eating and drinking with Jesus had been a significant part of their lives for three years. So when Peter thought of the Lord's appearances, the eating and drinking with Jesus and the other apostles naturally came to the forefront of his mind because it was a characteristic activity when Jesus was with them. For example, in Matthew 9.10, we see Jesus is invited to the house of Matthew, the tax collector. It says he reclined at the table, and there were many tax collectors and sinners came, and they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So there's the whole band of them there in Matthew's house, reclining, eating. Or six days before Passover, John chapter 12. Um, Jesus went to Bethany to the household of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And they had a gathering there for Jesus. It says, verse 2, John 12, they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. And further down the passage, it mentions, that, it mentions that Judas was there, so probably all the disciples were there. And then in Luke 5, these people came to Jesus in verse 33 and said, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. <laughs> Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? That's not a time to fast. Right before the wedding is a time to feast and be happy. And so Jesus feasted 
ate and drank with his disciples as joyous occasions. Besides this meal on Resurrection Day with the fish and Luke 24, there's another significant meal mentioned in the New Testament where Jesus ate with his disciples. That's in John 21. The disciples had said, well, let's go fishing. So they followed Peter. Seven of them together got in a boat. They went out and they fished all night. They didn't catch a thing. And you see this figure on the seashore. He says, throw your net over there and you'll catch fish. And they did. And they realized it was the Lord. And so Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. And when they get there, there's a charcoal fire. It says in Luke, uh, John 21, 9, there's a charcoal fire with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon went and hauled in the net, had 153 fish. He must have been a pretty strong man. It says, although there were so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and so were the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So there seems to be sort of a pattern here developing that when Jesus appeared to his disciples, they had a meal together. Now, Jesus knew these men were hungry. They'd been fishing all night. So he performed an activity that probably he'd done before. He cooked a meal for them. He served them. It doesn't say specifically that he ate with them, but surely he did. The reason is because Peter's testimony, we ate and drank with him. It doesn't say he watched us while we ate and drank, but we ate and drank with him. The meaning seems to be clear from the common use of language. They all ate and drank together. Because this social fellowship activity was a mark of Jesus gathering with his disciples. Perhaps his disciples were sitting there eating that fish and thinking to themselves, this is just amazing. Our our beloved leader is alive again. He's back with us. We're eating and drinking with him again. How wonderful. And so they were experiencing something that removed all doubts from their mind that Jesus had resurrected. Here was irrefutable proof for the third time that Christ had risen from the dead. His eating and drinking with them sealed it for them. So, Peter comes to Cornelius' house. He sits down and has a meal with Cornelius and his friends. He enjoyed a meal with them, like Jesus 
and the disciples had many times before. In fact, on the last night of Jesus' uh, ministry on earth, he had a meal with his disciples, did he not? The Passover meal. They were eating. Jesus took the bread and broke it. said, this is my body. He took the cup and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. And then he says this, Matthew 26, verse 29. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus promises to drink again with his disciples when he comes in his kingdom. Well, we gather around the Lord's table as a people of God and we eat of his body spiritually and drink of his blood by faith. We are having a spiritual meal feeding upon the risen Christ. And so we continue to partake of him through Holy Communion. So Peter as he testifies, as he witnesses before Cornelius' house, he tells them why Jesus rose from the dead. He's a personal witness because he'd seen everything that Jesus did. He'd been there on Resurrection Day at a personal visit as well as a group visit. And because he had been with Jesus when Jesus appeared, to them and they ate and drank together. Well, <clears throat> what do we see here? This eating and drinking that Jesus did, eating that fish, for example, reveals Jesus' fully resurrected body. In his full humanity, Jesus was resurrected so that his sense of taste and smell and touch were all together. And he ate like he'd eaten before with them many times. His body was not partially resurrected. His body was fully resurrected, including his sense of taste and smell. What does that mean for you and me? It means that when Jesus returns at the end of the age, He resurrects us, He's going to resurrect us fully. And the totality of our being, our human bodies, so that our sense of taste, smell, touch, and so forth will be fully restored, just like Jesus' body was. Well... This is important, I think, that Jesus ate and drank with his disciples when he rose from the dead because people of all cultures can relate to this kind of activity. One of the most common and joyful human activities in every culture is eating and drinking with your family, with your friends. It's a sign of life, of vitality, of fellowship among people who have mutual affection for one another. So this relates to people of all cultures. You see, the resurrected Jesus was not a ghost. He was not a spirit, but he was a fully 
resurrected man in the totality of his humanity. Now his body was not exactly the same because he could he had a spiritual body the Paul calls it he could appear in a room and disappear. But that didn't detract from his physicalness. I have a suggestion. Whatever you sit at your table and you taste the food, you smell the food, you touch it, you hear what people are seeing, are saying, you, you, you look around, know this, that just as certain as you are eating and drinking that food, so Jesus Christ our Lord ate and drank in the same way because he was fully resurrected. His resurrection is as sure and certain and physical as the very food on your table that you're eating and consuming. So I believe it's safe to say that when Christ returns, raises us from the dead, establishes the new heaven and new earth in which dwells righteousness, that part of our activity there will be eating and drinking food. He said he'd drink the cup with us when his kingdom comes. And he speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb, a banquet for the people of God to celebrate. Well, this eating and drinking with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, was a significant event in the life of Peter and of his apostles. And he shares that with Cornelius' house. He wants Cornelius and the people to understand that Christ really rose from the dead. As he began to preach the gospel, sure enough, the Holy Spirit fell on the people and they began to worship God and they were subsequently baptized. They had become believers. The Gentiles were coming to faith in the resurrected Christ who's Lord of all. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you that this resurrection of Christ is something that we can understand because it was real. It was as real as eating a broiled fish. Thank you that you raised your son from the dead in the totality of his physical nature. We will see him one day. We'll grasp his feet like those women did on that resurrection morning. We thank you, Father, that these bodies of ours are precious, that Jesus died for them, that you'll raise them on the last day, and that we'll enter the new earth. And there we will worship our Lord. And even, I believe, eat meals there of joy and celebration. We thank you for the resurrected Son of God who lives and who is returning. In his precious name we pray. Amen.